relationship with you, you do it for so much more than just for us, Lord, but you save us for the sake of others as well, God. Um, Lord, thank you that the moment we got saved, it, it, it didn't just turn into a me religion, uh, uh, what you can do for me personally or for us personally, Lord, but you, but you do call us to have an impact further than our own lives, Lord, and even into our families, Lord. And so just this morning as we're sitting here, God, I'm, I'm so aware of the fact that we represent hundreds, um, if not thousands of people just amongst this group here, Lord. And, and I'm thinking of your disciples, a small group of 120, but the work that you did in them overflowed into us even sitting here this morning, Lord. So I do pray, not because of wise and eloquent words, God, but because of the work of your spirit, that you would work in us so much this morning that it would flow over into the people around us. In the name of Jesus. Everyone said? Amen. Right, so I, I, as I said, I want to speak about um, faithful family, but it is important to actually start with recognizing the fact that when, when each of us got saved, the beautiful thing that God did is whether you come from a broken family or you come from a quite a perfect family, which I don't think exists. I thought it existed. I've, I've noticed in spending time with people and, and, and pastoring people that even the families who look the most sorted out and with the least problems, all families to an extent actually have problems. And the thing is, what, what happens in your family and the, the way that you grow up actually has a massive influence on who you are as a person. To an extent, your circumstances do influence a little bit of who you are. Maybe not completely, but it does have an influence on who you are. But the beautiful thing about our God is that he didn't only create us to have physical family, but we need to start by recognizing that he created us to have spiritual family as well. And for many of us sitting here, I know some of you are new, some of you are just looking in or visiting or are a little bit maybe on the periphery of this family called Josh 10. But I do want to say this morning that we believe that church is not a service that you walk into and walk out of. That's not what it's about. Church is not about this morning. It's not about a Sunday primarily. It's not even about a Wednesday for all the good Christians that go to, that go to community on a Wednesday evening. It's not about that. It's really about finding spiritual family, finding people who... Um, who share common interest, and that common interest, the common ground that we share, is Jesus Christ. And what God does is, every person, which doesn't matter what family you come out of, the normal Christian birth and the normal Christian life is supposed to not be in isolation, but it's supposed to come into spiritual family. And I believe that as we get saved and as we come into spiritual family, there's a redeeming aspect, actually, of the other things that we might have experienced, the bad that we might have experienced in our lives. And God comes into the church, the broken church, must be said, the church with flaws, must be said, but a church who's really trying, a church that's trying to be family, and he redeems some of the flaws that we might have experienced in our physical families. And that's the beauty of God's plan, right? And we've got so many Christians today who think that they can be Christians in isolation. And I want to say that is one of the most unbiblical things that you can find. A Christian in isolation is a very unhealthy Christian. The way that God intended it is he, he, he wants to take you and place you in family when you get saved. And I'm hoping it's probably to differing degrees, but that when you look around at the people here with you this morning, that you would have an, an experience of spiritual family. Maybe not as much as we can. We're still growing and we'll still give ourselves to it but that you would have an experience of spiritual family and that this would be a little bit of a taste of heaven, actually. I know uh, my preaching might not be a taste of heaven, but just the family, 
a little bit of a taste of heaven that we could experience because one day in heaven, God is going to unite us to such an extent that we really are family. We will be closer than our physical families when we get to heaven. And God has destined it that when we become Christians, that he places us and he gives us a little bit of a taste of heaven, a little bit of a unity that transcends natural borders, that goes from black to white to color to Asian to, uh, to color to everything in between, right? And, uh, <laughs> just, uh, it, just, it, it transcends all of those things. It transcends rich and it transcends poor. It transcends classes. It transcends age. And it's a little bit of a taste of heaven that we get to experience in the church. There's this beautiful thing in Matthew 19, verse 29. God says that when we become followers and we give things up for him, he promises us that not only will you have your physical family, but I will give you something in spiritual family. You can put that scripture up. I read out of the translation Jesus re reads out of. That's the ESV, but you guys have only got the NIV here. Yeah? So um, it says, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children, listen, it's, it's physical family, even in leaving your physical family, maybe making sacrifices because they don't, don't follow the Jesus that you're following. They might say they follow Jesus, but they might not be like you are. If you do those things, if you leave those things and even fields, maybe houses, maybe um, towns, maybe an income for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. So the scripture is saying, yes, you'll inherit eternal life, but actually you'll receive a hundred times as much. Meaning, when I offer up anything in this life, God richly blesses me with new fathers, hundred times more, new brothers, new sisters, new awkward cousins. He does that. He blesses us with those things, and that is the beauty of spiritual family. And I'm really hoping this morning that you will give yourself to become part of a spiritual family and not just a church that you attend. Because it's the most beautiful thing that you will experience is the house of Jesus, is coming into that. And that's the promise that he actually gives us. So he gives us spiritual family. But as I prayed earlier, God is really clever, but he doesn't leave it there. It's almost like he does this, if I can, if I can use my hands to explain. He takes us, from a, a, a natural family, broken, healthy, anything in between. He takes us from that. We get saved, and he places us in spiritual family. And if you're in a healthy church, something of a redeeming aspect is supposed to happen there. Something of that adding of brothers and sisters and fields and all of those things is supposed to happen there because what's in my fridge is supposed to be in your fridge in a sense, especially with you guys in AIM because the students with us have nothing in their fridges. So, but something of that redeeming aspect has to happen where God takes you out of that family and he places you in spiritual family and he does something in your heart. He does a work of healing. He did for me. And then what God does, I'm going to show you in the next scripture, is he wants to take what he does here and he wants to flow it back into your natural family. So he takes you from there, puts you in there, and then lets it flow back in there. That is the heart of God. And that's what I want you to have faith for this morning. Faith for your family. Noah is, is an incredible example, actually, in Genesis 6, verse 18, if you can read that. So Noah is the, the one that God actually saves. He's the one that sees the vision, build this ark, and the ark represents salvation in a sense. He is going to be saved from the destruction that comes into the world. And so Noah, in a sense, is, it's a picture of salvation in the Old Testament. But just look at what God does. God doesn't only say, for practical reasons as well, because we need to populate the earth again. 
But God doesn't only say, okay, Noah, only you and maybe your wife, not only you guys can come into the ark and receive salvation. But if you can put the Genesis scripture up, it says, but I will establish my covenant with you, Noah, and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. I think that's the end of it. So what God does is he says, yes, I will give you salvation, but I will let your salvation even influence. And, and in a sense, if, if I put you on the ark, I want me putting you on the ark to pull others within that ark with you, to pull others into salvation, to pull others into healthy Christianity. And we, if you're sitting here this morning, whether you can think of family members or not, that's not the point. I think all of us do have people that we can reach out to in our families, even if they are saved, but to draw them closer to Jesus. We have a responsibility to be like Noah, to say, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to get on that ark. But Jesus, I'm trusting you that I will not get on that ark alone. Amen? That is the heart of God for us. So I know this is a little bit of a touchy subject for some this morning. For some, not so, not so much. But it's, it is something that's dear to my heart. I was actually hoping my mom was going to be here this morning, but she woke up a little bit nauseous, so she's... Um, She's at home. She's resting. She's visiting from Joburg. She maybe brought the Joburg flu with uh, the, the maybe, not the Joburg flu, <laughs> sorry, it's a bad joke. She, she might have brought some flu or something along from that side, but we were sick as well. So she's visiting here, and um, it's such a beautiful thing. I, I wish she was actually here to, to hear this. She would have said amen to all of it. But my, um, my salvation, I got saved when I was 17 years old. It was in 2007. And it was, it was a radical salvation. It was really one of those, I was living totally in the world. I said, if you want to be a pagan, be a good pagan. Don't play around. You do it well. And I really did it well. I, I lived in the world completely. And then when I got saved, it was, um, it was on, a, on a camp that I went to. I experienced the presence of God for the first time, gave my life to, to God. And everything changed really quickly in my life. And I'm really hoping for some of you that would change. Maybe even this morning, if you don't have salvation, we are going to give an appeal and, and give you an opportunity to respond. But I, I got saved that on that camp. And my mom had been a Christian, Christian. She actually had a testimony of God doing radical things in her life when she was younger. But over the years, I think life just got hold of her. And to an extent, she became lukewarm, I would say. I wasn't really raised in church. Uh, we, we would go and then not go. And so my mom's Christianity was quite lukewarm at that stage. But as I got saved, there was such a burden on me to not only get on that ark on my own, but to help my mom get on that ark as well. I, I won't tell the full story. My mom and my dad are divorced. Divorced when I was really young, neither married again. I'm an only child, as you can see. And uh, from the good looks, <laughs> all the good genes went to me. It, it didn't have to be shared. It all came to me. But it, it was such an important thing for me that I wanted to reach back out. I got on the ark, but I wanted my mom to get on the ark. And just in me following the Lord, I didn't even do much, but slowly but surely my mom's relationship with the Lord started stabilizing in a sense. I, I was so passionate. I, at that stage, I said to her, Mom, we need to read Bible together and do Bible study together. And I tried to do those things with her, and she was quite open for it. And I asked her about her Christianity, not because I wanted to evangelize. I didn't even know what that word meant. Just because I was full of God and I was on the ark and I was so excited that I found salvation and I didn't have to die. I could have eternal life that I wanted to share it with her. And so in a sense, my testimony is, and, and there's still many family members that need that and still to my mom to an extent as well. But 
and she, she says that I, I, I wish that I could even have more of an influence there. But it's dear to my heart because I've seen the effect of it firsthand. See, now my salvation is not mine alone. I can't be a selfish Christian. It's not mine alone. But God has given it to those around you and especially to your family. So I want to look at four things that I, just in, in looking through the Bible and searching the scriptures a little bit, just in the four things that I believe God is calling us to, um, to, to, to be an influence or things that we need to take in mind, to take cognizance of when we think of our physical family. And this is whether your family is saved or not. It's just things that I found in scripture. It's not Leonard ideas. It's ideas that I believe are scriptural. It's biblical and it's things that we need to take to heart. The first thing, and this might be a really difficult thing for some of you, the first thing is when you look at your family, when you think of your family, you need to accept that it was the hand of God that placed you in that family. You need to accept it. You need to accept that God is sovereign. And the sovereignty of God, how difficult ever it is to understand, because it is difficult to understand, where does my will and God's will meet? And I don't, I don't pretend to fully understand it, but you have to know that God placed you in the family that he placed you in out of his sovereignty, out of his choice. And that might sound simple, and still you actually start thinking of your family. And you start thinking, God, but how does that make sense? Because you might come out of an abusive family. You might come out of a poor family. You might come out of a racist family. You might come out of a, an, an atheist family or an agnostic family. But you need to stand still this morning, and I believe look at the sovereignty of God and know that it was his choice to place you in the family, in the town, in the country that you are at. Let that sink in. It was his choice. Now, I know that's really difficult to comprehend, especially when we come from brokenness. And it's difficult to think, but, but obviously the sin that my parents committed, the sin that my family committed, that's not God. But in placing you there, that was God. Did he know what your family would do? I actually don't know. I'm not going to pretend to know. Did he know that your father or your mother was going to be an alcoholic? Well, actually, I don't know. But, but actually, maybe. That's, that's quite a difficult thought, eh? It really is a difficult thought. But could it be that God wanted to do something in your family and maybe even through your salvation into your family? Maybe you are the only, uh, only hope for them. Listen to what the Bible says, because I, I don't want to make this a Leonard idea. Uh, if, you, if you think of Calvinism and Arminianism, those who read up on those things, I don't even know where it falls. <laughs> somewhere in the middle, somewhere as an amalgamation of the two, is, is the, 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 the free will of man and the sovereign will of God. Listen to the scripture, Isaiah 45, verse 7. Listen, God says this, I, the Lord, form the light and create darkness. I bring prosperity and create disaster. Can you, can you imagine that even the God that you serve can create disaster? I may, be, I may be breaking the box of Jesus that you have, but maybe it needs to be broken. Maybe it needs to be broken. Maybe you're serving a figment of your imagination where God only gives the good, but he can't even use the bad to form you. But I believe that he can. Um, and create disaster. I, the Lord, do all these things. Verse 8. You heavens above. God commands the heavens, rain down righteousness, let the clouds shower it down, let the earth open wide, let salvation spring up, it's God that brings salvation, it's not your choice primarily, you respond to what he did. Next verse, let righteousness grow with it, 
I, the Lord, have created it. Next one. Woe to him who quarrels with his maker, meaning don't quarrel with God. He does all of these things. He is sovereign. To him who is but a potsherd, shard, 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 English people? Eh? Shard. Okay. A pot shard. Why don't they make it with an A? English doesn't make sense, all right? But a pot shard. It's the NIV. I told you guys. It's probably wrong. <laughs> um, to him who is but a pot shard among the pot shards on the ground. Meaning we are but a shard, a, a pot shard. <laughs> it sounds weird. What does my translation say? Um, a, a pot among earthen pots. Okay, that is a bit complicated. Um, does the clay say to the potter, what are you making? Does your work say he has no hands? And I think there's maybe one verse. Woe to him who says to his father, what have you begotten? Or to his mother, what have you brought to birth? What the scripture is saying is it's actually, it's actually a subtle rebuke to us to say, know your place. Know your place. You might think that God made a mistake. God didn't make a mistake. He didn't, mistake in, he didn't make a mistake in forming you. He didn't make a mistake in placing you in the family that you're in. Whether it makes sense or not, whether there's brokenness or not, I, I honestly don't know where the will of God and where the sinfulness of people comes in. I don't know. But what I do know is I need to make peace with the fact that God has put me where God has put me. I can't run away from it. I think the best way for me to understand it is we, we do have two little girls now. And this is a little bit to come, but I know that when I look at some of my friends and they, we, we're at the stage where when we go away with friends, we want to go away with friends. But the problem is we eight friends that want to go away and with that comes eight children. And it's, it's that chaotic time of life, which is difficult. And it's, it's from our little babies to uh, kids who are in primary school. So it's, it's a bit of an array. And what I've seen with children is they, they come to a point, I don't know if you've seen it, the older parents, they get to the why phase. Why? You, don't eat that. Why? Because I say so, <laughs> right? <laughs> because it's going to hurt your tummy. Why? Uh, because it's not food. Why? <laughs> You've seen children do that. And I know I'm aware of the fact that our two ones are going to get to the why phase. And, and that really is a difficult thing because some things are just beyond their comprehension. For example, if, for instance, we, we want to put our little girls to bed. Now, sleep is something that we've sort of said bye to. Now, last night, we, we hardly slept. It was, it was a horrible evening. And, and it's that difficult thing. So I want to do everything in my power to let the, the girls sleep, especially when they're a bit older. Now they need to feed at night. L later on, we can close the, the door. We, the, the doctor said to us, she has twin girls, asked her, when, when did your children sleep through for the first time? She said, when we put off, put off the baby monitor. So <laughs> it's just a joke. One day they will sleep through. One day we'll get there. And, and I want to do everything in my power to, to get them to sleep through, right? I don't want to, to, to mess with it. I'm obviously not going to give them coffee. That's one day. But I don't even want to give them sugar. Now, when they get to the Y phase, that is going to be difficult. Daddy, can I have some Coke? It's, it's 8 o'clock in the evening. No. Why? Because Coke has sugar in. Why? Because it tastes good. Why? It doesn't matter. But daddy, why can't I have it? Um, in my mind, what I'm thinking is sugar is going to push up your sugar levels in your body, right? I know that. 
as far as I understand, your sugar levels need to regulate. I think, the, if, if, you, if you know I'm, I'm incorrect, just pretend I'm right here. But I think there's a little bit of adrenaline that actually gets released in children when the sugar levels try to regulate. And, th and that's not good. I see a few looks, so, so I'm probably wrong. That's as far as I understand it. The point is just stuff happens in your body that I might understand. If you're a doctor or you're a pharmacist or you study biology, you might understand it even far better than I do. And in your mind, you've got a long list of what actually happens in the child's body. But if I had to try and sit down with that child and explain why they can't have Coke, it is physically impossible to explain the, the real reason. Am I right? So what do I say? No. Why? No. <laughs> That's all I say. Because my thinking is far removed from the thinking of a child. My thinking is above the thinking of a child. Maybe one day they'll get there, but they'll never be able to comprehend at the level that I comprehend at this stage of their lives, especially when they're young. And if that's the case with me and, and my children, how much more between me and God, the God who created? We will never understand everything that God does. We will never understand the why of family, the why of abuse, the why of difficulties. We won't understand all of those things. But sometimes, all we need to know is God just says, because I chose so. Because I chose so. And you need to find solace in the fact that whichever family you come out of, firstly, because God chose so. Can I get an amen? <laughs> because God chose so. The Bible says in Isaiah 55, verse 8 to 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God's thoughts transcend our thoughts. We will never fully understand. So take, um, have peace with the fact that your birth was planned by God. So we spoke to my wife and I had time with uh, a young lady a short while ago struggling with depression and eating disorders and a bunch of things. And she said she feels it's so unfair because she did not choose to be born. And now she's a Christian and she knows she's not allowed to end her life. And she feels stuck. She said uh, she's angry with God because he chose for her to be born. It wasn't her choice. She feels that's unfair. I want to say I wish she was here. I would have said to her, have peace. In God's sovereignty, he, choose for, he chose for you to be here. He has a plan. He knows what he's doing. Find him. He has a plan. He chose for each of you to sit here. He chose for you to be born where you're born. For me, that's a little bit more difficult than most of you because I was born in Boxburg. That doesn't make sense at all. But, um, but God knows what he's doing. Your mother was chosen by God. For some, that's a nice thought. For some, that's really a difficult thought, actually. Your father was chosen for you by God. Your brothers and your sisters, they were chosen for you by God. Your uncles, your aunts, they were chosen for you by God. Was there abuse? Maybe. But still, God placed you there. You know, there might be some questions after this. I'm thinking, for some it's easy, but I know some of you come out of really abusive situations. And I don't have the answers, but I know that somehow, somewhere, the hand of God is, is present there. Secondly, even as God placed us there, God has given us a responsibility to care for those around us, to care for our family members. And in caring for them, even physically, we are shining the light of Christ into their lives. And so it's so easy as Christians to think, I'm saved, 
I go on with my spiritual life. I've got a new spiritual family. I've got a new life, and I just go on. But actually, the Bible makes it clear, and I'm going to read that now, that that is severely unchristian. Severely unchristian. You cannot detach yourself from your natural family. It is impossible because God has decreed it to be so. You cannot detach. When I got saved, I, two years later, came to the Western Cape, and I've been here since 2009. So it's been, a, it's been 12, 13 years now that I've been here. For me, it's really sometimes easy to forget about my family. And it's a temptation because over here, things are nice. It's the land of milk and honey. How can it not be nice? It's wonderful. And when I go home, there are problems and there's, there's difficulties. And there's, uh, was to an, uh, a short while ago, there's alcoholism and there's, there's fighting and bickering and divorce and all of those things. And the easy thing for me to do is go on with my spiritual life and my spiritual family. But that is an unbiblical thing to do, actually. This is one of the most scary scriptures. 1 Timothy 5 verse 8. It's in context of the Bible speaking about um, how in the church we are to care for widows. But it has a list, not just any widow, widows who have done A, B, and C. People have lost their husbands but are widows for various reasons. We're to care for them. But then actually it goes on to say that before the church looks after those people, first the natural family needs to step in, whether believers or unbelievers. So the Bible places such an emphasis on the fact that we are to care for each other. Listen to this scary scripture, 1 Timothy 5 verse 8. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Paul's not saying you become an unbeliever. He's saying your actions are sub-Christian, but actually not that. It's actually sub-pagan. It's sub-unbeliever, saying it's worse than being an unbeliever if you just go on with your life and you forget that you have a responsibility to shine the light of Jesus, even in a physical sense, even with the care that you bring, whether that's emotional, physical, or whichever type of care that you bring into your family. There's a, there's a theologian, Michael Eaton, that says the following. A Christian is making a bad mistake if he or she is so spiritual, in inverted commas, as to lose sight of this basic natural obligation. The Christian has two sets of relationships. We relate to people by nature, by birth, meaning your physical family, and we relate to people through common spiritual experience. But, he says, the new spiritual friends are not to replace or displace family obligation. It's unchristian to say that was then and now is now. That's not what Jesus meant when he said, I'm giving you a new family. Providing for needy family members is a basic Christian duty, says this theologian. And I want to say to him, according to the Bible, amen. Amen. It really is so. We are to look after those around us. And so what I found so many people to do is, and, and, and I might be stepping on some of your toes, but thankfully I don't know. I don't know any of your bank accounts, so, so I just have no clue. But what I find people do is, and, and that's actually where this thing comes in of spiritual and natural family. People say, cool, what I'll do is I've got family members, and, and I, I hear this, what Leonard is saying. So I'm not going to give to the church anymore, whether you believe in tithing or not. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take of what I'm giving to the church, and I'm going to give it to my natural family. Actually, what you're saying is it's either or. What the Bible teaches is both. I love my spiritual family as I do my natural family. I love my natural family as I do my spiritual family. And so we've got an obligation to both, actually. I cannot take to the from the one to give to the other and vice versa. 
So for me, I, when I sit with people, I've, I've sat with so many people. We did a, a potential leaders training. We're busy doing it now online with some of the people who are away. And we asked many of them, do you tithe? Just for interest sake. Because I want to know, if, if you're going to come into leadership, where are your finances? Because I do believe that your finances show where your heart is. It's a big extent, a massive extent. The Bible speaks about finances more than it speaks about faith and prayer combined. Finances are a massive indicator of what's happening in your heart, what you believe, what you value. And some of them, it was interesting, they said, I, I tithe when I can, but I give to needy family members. So I want to say, yes, you understand it, but you don't understand it fully. Actually, I believe we are to do both. I, I personally, I want to give my tithe, and above my tithe, I want to say, God, where is it that I actually need to reach into my family? And that is a really difficult thing, because for many of us, the needs are endless, and you will shipwreck yourself in a sense. You will go bankrupt if you look to an extent. So I do want to say it's worth prayer, it's worth wisdom, it's not so that they can abuse you. But sometimes we need to say, to, to the detriment of me, I want to give to those. And I find that difficult, really. A, a, a while ago, Carla and I were reading the scripture, and I got a bit of a fright. I thought we were sitting there, and we were like, oh, shucks. Are we actually doing this? Because on her side of the family, we think, how can I really help? they well off financially. My mom's okay at this stage, but my dad, my dad is not in a good financial place. And my dad will refuse to give me his bank account details. He's a stubborn man. <laughs> He's a really stubborn man. You, you won't do it. You, you will refuse. So what we did is I went on to check the 6 to 60. At least I know where he lives. And we put an order in for basic food for him. And we sent it to him. We, we took an amount and we sent it. And actually, we need to keep doing that every now and then. I'm not going to do it the whole time because I don't know if I can sustain it. But when God lays it on my heart, I do want to reach in. And when he asked me why, because I don't know where my dad stands with the Lord. I've tried to speak to him, but again, it's been difficult. I said to him, we were reading this bi the Bible this morning, and I believe that I can't read the Bible and not obey what it says. So I'm trying to witness even through the physical things that I'm doing. Does that make sense? And that's what we need to do. We need to say, I can't leave the one and go for the other. I need to say, I need to take responsibility for my family because God has placed me there to help. Number three, you have an obligation as a Christian to cultivate healthy religion. Now, religion has become a swear word, and that's wrong, because in the Bible, it's not a swear word. The Bible says um, a true religion is to look after widows and orphans. It's not a negative word in the Bible. What we mean is we mean dead religion when we speak about religion in a, in a negative way. I just feel like if the Bible calls it a positive thing, it's not going to call it a, a negative thing, okay? Makes sense, right? But we are to cultivate healthy religion, healthy Christianity. We are to cultivate that in our families. See, I have a, um, I have a friend. His name is Willem. He lives in, in Ireland now at the moment. He's a pastor's kid. Anyone know a naughty pastor's kid, a naughty PK? Any of you? Okay. There are a few of you. You should know them. They're normally the worst. Willem, I, I haven't seen him for a few years. I knew him at school. And Willem is an interesting guy. He got... Um, expelled from his first school for hot wiring the tractor and then <laughs> and then jumping off of it and letting his friends go and his friends didn't know how to stop it so it ran into a ditch and the and the tractor literally flipped over that's why he got expelled then he came to us wasn't accepted wrote a letter he's quite a clever bloke he's, he's an engineer he was quite a clever bloke wrote a letter to the principal said please i won't do any of those things came the first week he was there I, as i said i was a severe pagan at that stage 
we um we drank together at, on the school grounds. They came to support my tennis match, but they did it with squeegee bottles with um with brandy in. And so we got drunk on the school grounds and we threw a bunch of tables and we were just very naughty back then. And uh, there were cameras up in the school, little benowns to us, and we were called in that Monday morning into the headmaster's office. And as the headmaster left the, the office, Willem stood there. We, um, we sang the school, the school anthem that evening um, while we were in the gardens. And he stood there and sang the school anthem. So such a naughty guy. The, the first time I saw him after years was here in Stellenbosch. He came to me. He was so drunk, and he grabbed me around my, um, my shoulders, and he said, Lenny, and I could just smell the alcohol. I was saved at that point, and I tried to witness to him. But he's a PK. He's a pastor's kid. His dad is a dwemini. He grew up in a religious household, and that is a massive fear for me, massive fear, because although you might think he does, he, is, he doesn't serve the Lord. He's far from the Lord. He's running 180 degrees in the opposite direction of what God is calling him for. And that is such a massive fear for me. And now we've got these two little girls. And my biggest prayer for them is, God, please let them not be normal PKs. Let them not be those who don't serve you. My biggest prayer is not for them for financial security going forward. It's not for them for the best husband, although that pl does play in massively into your spiritual walk as well and into your Christianity. So that is the prayer too. It's not for them to figure out what they want to study one day. That's not the prayer. The prayer is, God, how can I cultivate healthy Christianity into their lives? Please help me, Lord. Please have grace. Please have mercy on me. And I want to say your calling, your obligation as a Christian is you, God has placed you in your family to be alive and to cultivate healthy Christianity in your family. He's called you to it. If you have children, your primary responsibility for those children on, is not to care for them financially. It is to bring them to the Lord. God has made you their parents for that reason. That's why he chose you to be their parents. Not to give them money, not to give them an inheritance. Those things are good, but that's not primarily the thing what he's called you for. He's called you to cultivate Christianity in their life, to teach them the ways of God. If you've got parents who do not serve the Lord and they're open to it, God has placed you there to cultivate healthy Christianity, to say, can we pray together? Can we read Bible together? We need to make places where we serve God together. If you don't plan for it to happen, it's not going to happen. You need to plan for it. Carla and I need to do it a little bit better, but we've, we've been trying now lately to read Bible together in the mornings and pray while we're giving the babies milk. And we said, actually, that's important for us now, but when they grow up, it's going to be even more important because we want to cultivate Christianity. So I just want you to think this morning, God is calling you to, um, to be a healthy representation of, of Jesus in your family. And actually, the Christianity that you represent can either push them away from God or can draw them closer to God. You need to cultivate a good view of Jesus. You following Jesus is not for your sake. It's for their sake as well. Listen to this in Matthew 7, verse 9 to 11. Have you got it? Or which one of you, if his son asks him, for a bread, we'll give him a stone. Now, just pause there. Some of you think my dad would have given me a stone, okay? Because you come from a broken family. Some of your children might say, I'm really hoping not, would say, no, my, my dad would give me a stone. But actually, the Bible says a, a good father will say, no, I will give you bread. I won't give you a stone. Go on to the next one. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. Some of you think my, my family would give me a serpent. Next verse. If you then who are evil 
know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father is in heaven good, give good things to those who ask him? See, this scripture actually says that if you've got a healthy understanding of family, it will help you to have a healthy understanding of the Father. If you know that your parents will give you only the best, will love you, will lay their lives down for you, it makes, you e- it, makes it easier for you to understand that Jesus does the same and more. So you have a responsibility to show Jesus to your family. It's a responsibility. You can't run away from it. To your children, to your uncles, your aunts, all of your family members, you have that responsibility. Finally, the Bible calls you to shine a light into your family situation. Matthew 5, verse 14 to 16 says, You are the light of the world. It's interesting how it doesn't say that, um, that Jesus is the light of the world, eh? It says you are the light of the world. Jesus through us, but it's we are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all those who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works, not see your quiet time, not see your prayers, all those things are important, that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, in my family situation, there are some situations that I cannot change, although I want to. All I can do is shine a light. And that takes such a massive burden off my shoulders because if I feel like I have to change it, I can't let my uncle not drink. I can't do it. Just as, a, as an example with that, I've, I've tried so many times to speak to him about Jesus, but many times he's, he's looked too deep into the bottle, and it's so difficult. He'll speak, he'll speak, but he won't remember what we said. And so it's so difficult. What can I do? If I place that burden on myself, I will tire myself out. I can't. I cannot do it. I can pray for him, but furthermore, I can't do anything. What can I do? I can shine a light. I can shine a light, meaning I go into my family, I shine my light, I step back and trust God that that light will permeate their hearts. So what, what happened was, and this is a testimony, is um, I went for, it, it's sad, my one uncle passed away due to COVID actually in, in Joburg a, um, a few months ago. And I went to visit, and it's been such a burden on my heart, my uncle that I believe is an alcoholic. He won't admit it, but everyone around him is suffering the consequences of it. I can't do anything. I've tried. I've hinted, I've spoken, I've done everything. It just hasn't happened. So I spoke to my cousin and I said, uh, that's another story because he's busy going through a divorce, so his life is in a mess. But I said, listen, wherever you are, we have a responsibility towards your father. We need to sit him down and speak to him. We need to have an intervention of sorts and actually sit him down, not just hint at it, but sit down and say, here is a rehab. It's booked. We'll find the money somewhere. You are going tomorrow. That's what's happening. Sat with my aunt did the same, and we sat down with my uncle, we had a conversation with him, he didn't say a word, didn't say a word, told him, we miss the old uncle that we knew, we think you've got a problem, we know you think you don't, here's the rehab, we've done the research, we found the money, I gave money, my aunt didn't have money, but she had a little bit of savings that she put away, she gave money, my cousin gave money, it was quite expensive, we said it's paid for, we're taking you tomorrow, it's starting, we did all the research, we've spoken to them, we took him, it's been about, I don't know how long ago it was, maybe four months ago. He hasn't touched alcohol ever since. He hasn't touched alcohol. 
It could have happened the other way. I didn't think it was going to work, but the point is I can't change it. But what I can do is take the light of Jesus, take good works into my family, shine a light, and trust that God does it. What God does with it is not my responsibility. And what I hear from my mom and my aunt is that my uncle is more and more in the evenings, instead of drinking, he's going into the room and he's reading Bible. How beautiful. My cousin got, uh, went through a divorce situation a couple of years ago. And we tight with our finances because we knew the kids are coming and we're saving up for a few things. But I said to Carla, I've got a responsibility. They're going through a divorce. I've never had a good relationship with my cousin. He's like the bully jock of the family, played very good rugby, played provincial rugby and, and professional rugby, this massive guy. And I'm like the little Leonard that he used to bully. We've never gotten on. But I knew I had a responsibility. I thought, I don't know if I can change it, but I'm going to try. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay my own tickets. I'm going to go. The family said, no, we'll pay, we'll pay, we'll pay. But I said, I don't want your money because then they feel like I'm not coming out of a sacrifice. I'm not showing them the good works. I'm not showing Jesus to them. I said, I'm refusing to take your money. Coming out of my own expense. Went, tried to speak to him, tried to speak to his cousin. They still got divorced. Not my responsibility. But I can come before the Lord and say, Lord, I, I did let my light shine before men. I tried. Have you tried? Have you gone into your family and, sh and shone your light? Have you planned it? It's not going to happen. If you're going to wait for the perfect opportunity, that perfect opportunity will not come. Have you planned? Have you planned to let your sh light shine? Have you written a letter and given it to them? Have you given them a Bible as a gift for Christmas? What have you done? Let our good works speak the love of Jesus into our families. Come, let's stand. Okay, so just as we end this morning, um, what I said in the beginning is we represent hundreds of people, actually, hundreds of family members. And yes, this goes into our friendship groups as well, but actually the scriptures I was reading primarily, it speaks about our families and how God is calling us for our families. And what I want is I'm just going to maybe ask two or three people to come pray for our families, but I want you to, to stand in the place of your family in a sense this morning. To think of those names and think, God, I, I, I want to stand for their lives this morning. Okay. Can I just see by show of hands, who has someone that you're thinking of now that God wants you to be a light? And not even unsaved, just like, God, I want to show more of you. If you've got someone, just raise your hand. Okay. I think it should be all or most of us. So just as we pray, can we, um, can we close our eyes together? And I'm going to maybe ask, I don't know, Pete and Dom, Estefan just come pray over the mic for us, for our families and for their salvation or for them coming closer to the Lord. Let's pray. Yeah, Jesus, I bring my family, every one of our families, Lord, I bring it before you, Jesus, and Lord, I know that you love them more than I could ever do, Lord, and that you've even died on the cross for them, Lord, um, for their salvation, for eternal life, Lord, and Lord, we just bring them before you, Lord, and we trust that you... Um, However, you want to use me to be the light there, Lord, but that you would open their eyes, Jesus, that you would be the one softening their hearts, Lord. Yeah, Jesus, we trust you. You alone can do this, Lord, but you want to use us, Lord. You want us to use us to be the light, Lord. Lord, we, we trust you, Jesus. Yeah, Jesus, I want to thank you this morning for Leonard's message, um, which is such a 
life-filled, powerful message, and I feel for some of us very offensive. Um, yeah, some of us who come from very broken homes, Lord. And Jesus, I want to thank you that we have this opportunity to be a bit offended out of our comfort zones, the kind of safety place that we've established for ourselves outside of families. Um, yeah, and Lord, I want to pray that as we go into these holiday times, Lord, that we would have the mind of Jesus and the heart of Jesus to lay our lives down, that he laid down that comfort and that security that maybe we've spent years building up. Um, because, Lord, ultimately we live for you, and we want to lay our lives down for you, Lord. We don't, we don't just want to sing it and read it in front of church, God, but we, we're here to live it. Yes, Lord, thank you that we can just be here today and then be challenged in this way, Lord. But Lord, I, I, I ask that you, that you keep us rooted in you. Where we are here, we, we, we invest in this family and we invest in, in you here and we invest in the world that we have here. But we are so, so sucked in and we go back to an old place or an old home that we tend to fall back into old ways. But Lord, that we, that we should stay rooted in you. Our identity remains in you, Lord. And we go back and that, that this life that we, that we build up, this relationship we build up here, Lord, that we take that with us, Lord. We don't shy back into what we were, but we stay in this, Lord. We can show a part of you, show a part of you that we, that we live here, Lord, that it sustains us where we are. But, Lord, that we bring that to other people so that they have that, that they might find that fulfillment, that sustainment, and just, just find you in the way that we live. And we think back what we have with you, Lord. Oh, thank you so much, Lord, that you do call us to be alive, Lord. And so I just want to pray for the first point that I spoke about this morning, Lord, for, for peace for every person who's found it difficult to think that, that you could have placed them where you placed them, Lord. I pray for healing in the hearts of those who have gone through severe abuse in their families, Lord, who have um, been, been raped, molested, abused physically, emotionally, Lord, who have, um, who have been neglected, God, I I pray for your healing power to come over their lives, Lord, that they would see your hand in those situations, your loving hand, Lord, who disapproved of, of what happened in those situations, Lord, but that still wants to use the healing that you want to bring in their lives to bring healing into the lives of others, God. Lord, I pray that as you say that, that we bring the reconciliation to others that you brought to us, Lord, reconcile them, God, heal them, Lord, where there's any hurt from family, Lord, I pray that you would use spiritual family even to come and heal a lot of that hurt that people are experiencing, God. I pray for forgiveness, God, over people's lives, Lord, where, where forgiveness is really needed, Lord, where, um, where, where, where people have done things that, that are actually inexcusable, Lord. But I do pray for, for, for forgiveness, Lord, that, um, that goes beyond what makes sense, Lord. Jesus, you, you forgive us and it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense, and I pray that because you do that, that we would forgive when it doesn't make sense. We would forgive those who have abused us, forgive those who have hurt us, Lord. And that, Jesus, even as you keep reaching out to us, even when we spit in your face, that we would be your, represent your representatives, Lord, your ambassadors, that go into those situations of abuse even, and say, even if you turn your back on me, even if you spit in my face, I'm going to show you what Jesus has done for me. And I'm going to love you despite those things. Could it love you despite what you did to me, what you're doing to me? I'm going to love you. I'm going to show you the life of Jesus. So, God, I pray for healing. Pray for faith for families, Lord. 
pray for our families to rise up in our hearts, God. I pray where we think it's impossible that we would not look to ourselves, but look to you, the God of the impossible, who can do all things. Just while we keep our eyes closed, before we end, if, if we can just all close our eyes. I don't know, there's a chance that all of us are saved here this morning. That's wonderful. I'm not going to labor it for too long, but I do feel like I want to give an opportunity, and I'm not going to ask you to come forward. All I want is that you would just raise your hand so that I can see who you are, and then you can raise your, let, let uh, lower your hand again. But is there anyone this morning that, that's, um, as I spoke about coming onto the ark, finding salvation, finding Jesus, who wants to find Jesus this morning, who wants to be saved, who wants to say, God, forgive me of my sins. I want to be with you in heaven eternally one day, but I've, I've lived without you. I've not been in relationship with you. I need your forgiveness and I need your salvation. If that's you, if you want to give your life to Jesus, can I just, every, all the eyes are closed. If you can just raise your hand and just look at me just until I see you and then you can lower it again. Is there anyone like that? Yeah, Jesus, thank you that you have saved us, Lord, and that we can know that we are children of you, Lord. That God, that we are children of you, that we belong to you, Lord, and that you that you are the one that gives us freedom, Lord. And I pray, Lord, as we go into into our families, into um places where it might be difficult for us, Lord, but even maybe times of joy, Lord, families, family moments, Lord, I pray that you would use every moment for your glory, Lord, and that, um, yeah, Lord, that you are drawing people unto yourself, Lord, and that we would, that we get to be part of that, Lord. Amen. Cool. So just um, one last announcement. Um, so we are not having a service on Sunday, but we are having a service on Saturday, the 25th of December, and that's the Saturday, and then next, uh, two weeks after that, uh, the 2nd of January, on a Sunday, we will have a combined service at SCAS, um, but the 25th of December, we're having a service in Somerset West, in the Joshua in Somerset West congregation. Yeah, it's so funny when Leonard said about we need to be share the light and be the light to people. I Someone told me in the week, they told me, there's things of you that remind me of Leonard. And I was like, no, man, are you serious? And then the week after that, someone said to me again, it was Esma, and said, you seem like you're doing a lot of things like, looks like Leonard. And I'm like, no, I don't want to be like Leonard. And I, I'm joking, Leonard, no. Um, but I realized that that the more I spent time with him, the more I got to know him, the, the more I started to become like him. And even people that we spend a lot of time with. And I really want to encourage you guys, like, the more time we spend with Jesus, the more we become like him. And that in this holiday, that we would be people that want to become like Jesus. Um, amen. Cool, guys. Can all the men just grab a chair and take it down to that garage and, yeah, enjoy our family. If you, for the first time here, please enjoy it with us still more.